All right, let's make our way back to our seats this morning. Let's make our way back to our seats. All right, good morning. And earlier, just a few moments ago, Charles said he is risen. He's risen indeed. Amen? All right. Well, welcome to Coastline, those of you that are here in person. And also, I know that some of you guys are joining us online as well. So we want to wish you guys a happy resurrection morning. All right. In case you don't know, this is actually our first Sunday here in our new space. And so real quick, let's give the Lord a hand this morning. If you've been with us for the past um, several months, you guys know that it's been an ongoing process, a lot of prayer, a lot of time um, spending with the city and waiting on the city to get our special permit. And finally, in the Lord's timing, he's opened up the door for us to be able to meet and gather out of all the days Easter morning. And so in case you're wondering, we didn't plan it like this. We didn't say, you know what we're going to do? We're going to start our first Sunday on Easter. No, it just, that was the Lord's timing, and, and obviously the Lord's timing is perfect. All right, let me share with you guys real quick before we get into God's Word this morning, a couple of um, things to look out for in case you haven't been to um, this space, in case you weren't here on Friday or you haven't been with us. But a lot of people um, have given up their time, especially on the weeknights, to come out and be a blessing the past couple weeks and um, just to get this space prepared for us to be able to um, use as a church. And so those of you that have come out to build, to paint, to sweep, to wash, I mean, just have given, you know, when you've given eight, ten-hour days of work and then come and do another two, three hours here at the church after, on top of your work schedule, we just want to thank you, and so on behalf of the entire church here, you know, those of you that came out, we just, we love you guys, and we're very thankful for you guys. And so um, the space here, just want to let you guys know that the restrooms are right outside this door right here, and so if any of you guys need to use the restroom, um, they're out there. The only thing we ask is to limit distractions, that if you do need the restroom, that you kind of go around and then um, on the side of the black curtain there. So um, if you guys need to go restrooms are there. Those of you with little ones, we mentioned that there was a couple of family overflow rooms. And so here on the back side, um, this back room here, and then there's another family overflow room over on this side where the kitchen is. So um, those of you with little ones, if you need to um, get up, move around, stretch out, um, just kind of get them to another spot, those are the family overflows. And then obviously, we have the outdoor overflow set up for you guys downstairs as well. So just to kind of give you guys a picture of um, what's happening here. And then last thing before we get into God's word this morning, right there towards the back where the entrance is, you guys see our offering box, our tithe box. Right on top of the offering box, there's a um, the scanner code. And that scanner code is basically if you're new here or... And I'll put it this way. If you guys don't receive my super long text or group text messages, okay? So if you're like, what are you talking about? Um, then I'm probably, how many guys get my super long group? Okay, how many guys don't even look at them? Some of you too. Okay, but if you don't get one and you guys want to keep up to date, about once a week I send out 
uh, text message, just giving updates and letting people know how they can get involved or things to look for. If you are new here, we'd love to be able to um, add you to that um, text chain. And so there's the code. You guys can scan it just like you do at a restaurant with the menu, and then it'll lead you to a website, and then you guys can just add your information on there, and we can keep you guys updated on things going on here at Coastline. All right, well, I'm really thankful and I'm really excited that you guys are here. I'm really thankful to be able to share the word with you guys this morning. And so if you have your Bibles, would you go with me over to the Gospel of John, chapter 20. The Gospel of John, chapter 20. All right, we're going to take a look at verses 1 through 8 this morning. And so let's read along together. And let's see what the Lord has for us this morning. John chapter 20. Let's begin in verse 1 together. It says, Now the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, They've taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they've laid him. Verse 3, Peter therefore went out and the other disciple and were going to the tomb. So they ran together, and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen cloths lying there. Yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen cloths lying there, and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together in a place by itself. Verse 8, then the other disciple who came to the tomb first went in also, and he saw and believed. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we thank you, God, for this wonderful, this beautiful this glorious morning. God, this time that you've given to us to be able to gather together and to study your word. Father, to look at your word and, and see that your word declares that we have a living hope because of the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I pray this morning that you would speak to our hearts about that hope. Lord, that you would minister and speak to our hearts exactly where we're at. God, you know our hearts, you know our minds. Lord, you know everything going on in our life. And so, God, this morning, you know exactly what we need to hear. And we ask that by your spirit, you would speak. And, Lord, that we'd be open to hearing. And so, God, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Amen. If you're taking notes this morning, you can title this morning's message, Looking at the Empty Tomb. Looking at the Empty Tomb. This morning, before we get into verse 1, as I was praying about what the Lord would put on my heart to share this morning with you guys, in case you guys don't know, for me, I've had a few Easter morning messages before. And so every time it's time to teach a Easter morning message or a Christmas message, there's always this struggle for me. 
Lord, what do you want me to teach? What do you want me to share? Some of you guys have been with us here at Coastline for the past nine years. And so for me, there's this, this hesitancy to repeat the same thing. And so I kind of have to go back and say, okay, well, what did I teach last year about Easter? What did I teach two years ago about Easter? Some of you guys have been around longer than that. And so for me, I have to tell myself, I don't want them to think I stole my message from five years ago. So I have to really pray and ask the Lord, what do you want me to teach? And then so I looked at some passages. I, you know, looked and, and the Lord kept leading me back here to the gospel of John chapter 20. And it's the text, and what we're going to focus on this morning is where Mary Magdalene and Peter and John all see the empty tomb. Now, what's interesting about our text this morning is that they all see the same thing. They all come to the same tomb. They find the same thing going on at the tomb. And yet each of them has a very different perspective about what they see. And it reminds me of Christianity. It reminds me of God's word. In fact, it reminds me just of the Lord himself. How we come to the Lord, we come to church, we open his word, and we all see different things. Some of us see and we look and we say, man, that's great, I believe Others look and they hear and they see and they receive and they say, man, I don't know. I'm not sure. Sounds a bit outlandish to me. This morning as we go through our text, I believe that every single one of us in this place, every single one of us online, we're going to read the text and most likely we're going to find ourselves in the text. We're going to find ourselves being able to relate with a Mary Magdalene. We might find ourselves relating with the Apostle Peter or with the Apostle John. And so let's start this morning in verse 1. Looking at the empty tomb. What do you see? Look at verse 1 with me. It says, Now the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. If you have your pen, pencil, highlight, or something that makes a line this morning, there in verse 1, was you underline, circle, highlight the word saw. Mary Magdalene saw that the stone had been taken away. Now, what we're going to do this morning is we're going to spend a majority of our time together actually simply here in verse 1. There's so much here in the text, I believe, for us to sort of draw out. Here in verse 1, this text provides some interesting details to help lay the foundation for the rest of the text this morning. If you're taking notes, the first detail that I want to focus on with you is that this event, notice in verse 1, took place the first day of the week. And so the first detail that I want to focus on here in verse 1 is that the event took place the first day of the week. If you're with us a couple nights ago, we celebrated Good Friday. We celebrated the death of Jesus Christ. And we talked about on Friday night, if you're with us, how his death saved my life. His death 
saved your life. Jesus was crucified on a Friday. By some accounts, some believe on a Thursday. Doesn't make a difference. Yet after his crucifixion, he was laid in a tomb. And that tomb was sealed by a large stone. And that tomb was guarded by Roman soldiers. Now, fast forward to this first day of the week, or what you and I would traditionally call Sunday morning, or what we're doing here this morning, celebrating Easter morning. It happened on the first day of the week. Now, the second detail that we see here in verse 1 is that Mary Magdalene was the one on the first day of the week, early in the morning, that went to the tomb. So give me your eye for a moment, church. I want you guys to go with me there that morning, that Easter morning, that moment that we're celebrating here today. It was very early, and a woman named Mary, Mary Magdalene, we'll talk about her in a moment, she makes her way to the tomb. When she gets there, obviously we know the rest of the story, she finds that the stone, this large, massive, two-ton stone that had been placed in front of the tomb, that it's gone. She makes her way there and she finds that the tomb, which she knows for a fact the body of Christ had been placed in, that his body's gone, that he's not there. Now, Mary Magdalene, she was a woman that Jesus knew very well, and obviously, she was, and Jesus was somebody that Mary knew very well. In Luke chapter 8, the Bible tells us that Jesus had actually gone and cast seven demons out of Mary. And so Mary was a woman who had a past. Mary was a woman who had dabbled in things that obviously had caused some sort of demonic influence in her life. Seven demons. This woman had been delivered from seven demons. Now, there's something that I love about Mary Magdalene being the first person to find the empty tomb. You see, if we were writing the story of the resurrection of Christ, if we were writing the story of the empty tomb, Mary Magdalene probably wouldn't have been the woman that we chose or we handpicked to discover the empty tomb, right? We probably would have picked one of the 12. We probably would have picked someone who was of high religious character. We would have chosen someone that you could say, man, now that person was worthy to be the one first on scene to discover that Jesus is alive. Yet the first on scene was a woman with a demonic past. A woman who literally had spent her life dabbling in things that obviously were part of darkness. This is what I love about this woman, her troubled past. Listen, her troubled past didn't disqualify her from being the first witness of the resurrected Jesus. Isn't that good news? This is what it means, and this is what I get out of it, and I pray 
that it speaks to you. Our troubled past, my troubled past. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands this morning, but how many of us in this place, how many of you there online have a troubled past? Things you're, you're ashamed of. Things that if your children were to find out, mommy and daddy did this, you'd be like, man, I don't want them to know. Things that even as a pastor, if you knew things that happened in my own life, a restraining order at one time. Anyways, listen, I, 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 there's things that we've had. There's things we've done that the enemy would convince us that we are unworthy to be a part of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, to be a witness of what, that, that Christ is alive. You see, the enemy's always doing that, isn't he? The enemy's always bringing that condemnation. The enemy's always reminding us of those things, those actions, those areas, bringing those things up, bringing them to remembrance, dragging us down. And yet the Lord allows this woman, this former demon-possessed woman, to show up early in the morning, that Easter morning, and to find the empty tomb. You see, no matter our troubled past, we are invited by God to come and see we're invited by God to come and celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus. Let me say this this morning. Give me right for a moment, church. No one is excluded from celebrating. No one has too much baggage from their past that they aren't invited to celebrate. No one has had enough demons in their past that they can't be forgiven and they're disqualified from, from celebrating the resurrection Mary Magdalene's inclusion in our text this morning, it screams all are welcome to celebrate. It screams all are welcome to forgiveness. It screams all are welcome to salvation. It screams all are welcome to freedom. The same freedom that Mary discovers. Now, this morning, the third detail that I want to focus on with you guys here in verse 1, would you guys go back with me there? It says that Mary Magdalene, notice, she saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. And so she catches a visual, the stone has been removed. And we know, because we have, other we have other scripture to support it, we know that an angel came and removed the stone. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 2, the Bible says that an angel shows up there at the tomb, and the angel moved the stone away. And so when Mary shows up, she sees the empty tomb. Now, this is interesting. Her first reaction to this empty tomb was to think that the body was stolen. She sees this empty tomb and, the, and what comes to her mind is who stole it? Where'd it go? I mentioned to you guys when we opened this morning when we see, when we hear the, about the empty tomb, 
As we celebrate Easter, there are different things that come to mind. And for this particular woman who knew Jesus so well, the first thing that didn't come to her mind was, oh, resurrected. Oh, third day, I know the scriptures rose again. No, the first thing that came to her mind was somebody stole Jesus. She wasn't wishing for or anticipating the resurrection of Christ. Let's go back to our title this morning, Looking at the Empty Tomb. Mary looked into this empty tomb and what she saw. Her first reaction was not, I see hope. Or I see the power of God to roll away a stone. Many of us have different reactions to Jesus. Many of us this morning, we have different reactions to the resurrection or to Easter. Some of us see a weekend that allows us to bring family together so that we can barbecue, right? That's what we see. Oh my goodness, April 4th or 6th or whatever today is, 6th, right? April 6th, mark it on your calendars. Some see Easter, some see barbecue. Others see Easter, <clears throat> while others see, man, it's an occasion to shop and get dressed up. How many of you here this morning headed out to the mall yesterday so you, know, so you can get that? No. Okay, maybe some of you. Some of you guys are really nice. The others of you look good too. Okay, listen. Some of us see Easter as possibly this occasion to go out and shop and dress up. Others, some of us see it as something that we're forced to celebrate, even though it's not real to us. While others see today as our day of hope. Some of us in this room this morning, we see today as the most important day of our life. You see, Friday was monumental, the death of Christ, the forgiveness of our sins. But without Easter, without resurrection morning, there's no hope. Without resurrection morning, we, had a, we have a dead Savior that died on Friday and who's not alive on Sunday and who's not alive from this point forward. You see, for us today, what we see, what I pray you see, when you think about, when you see, when you hear about the empty tomb I pray you see hope. I pray you see hope. Would you write this verse down? 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 tells us, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. If you're taking notes this morning, would you write down the, the phrase, a living hope? <clears throat> this morning, that's what we're celebrating. Now, this is what I want to do. We're, we're going to come back to John chapter 20, but if you have your Bible, would you go with me real quickly, at least something in John 20, go with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I want to spend a few moments talking about what makes Easter, what makes the resurrection our living hope. So leave something in John chapter 20. Go with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 
15. I want to give you four reasons why the resurrection is so important. Number one, if you're taking notes this morning, would you write this down? Without the resurrection, the gospel would be meaningless. Without the resurrection, the gospel would be meaningless. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Take a look at verse 1 with me. Paul, speaking of the resurrection, he says, Now I make it known to you, or literally I draw your attention to, that the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received, and which you also stand, by which you are also saved, he says, if you hold fast the word which I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. Now jump with me over to verse 3. It says, for I delivered to you first of first importance, that which I received, that Christ died for our sins, according to Scripture, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, and then it says, and he was seen. Without the resurrection... The gospel would be meaningless. You see, the gospel, the, the, the resurrection, Christ rising from the dead on the third day, take it out of the message, take it out of the gospel. You know what the gospel means? The good news. Take it out of the good news, and there is no good news. It's an incomplete message. Take it out, because if you were to take it out, what would happen? This is what the scripture would say. Let me give you the gospel. Let me give you the good news. Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. And he was buried. And then that's it. That's not good news. Take away the resurrection. That's not, he died. He was buried. Oh, I guess he was like any other man. He didn't conquer the grave. There was no power over death. You see, the, the resurrection has to be included for it to be good news. So without the resurrection, the gospel would be meaningless. How about this one? Without the resurrection, forgiveness of sins would be hopeless. Without the resurrection, forgiveness of sins would be hopeless. Skip with me over to verse 17 there in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Verse 17 says, and if Christ has not been raised. So in other words, if there is no such thing as resurrection, listen, your faith is worthless. And you are still in your sins. Think about this. Consider this with me for a moment. Take away the resurrection from the gospel message. And not only is the gospel message incomplete, but our sins, the sins that we've been told that we've been forgiven of, they're still upon us. We're still guilty of them. We haven't been forgiven. You see, Jesus, we know he died for our sins. But the only way that we can be forgiven of our sins, well, not only for him to die, but for him to conquer death, for him to be our savior who's alive. Thirdly, would you write this down? Without the resurrection, our present life would be joyless. 
Without the resurrection, our present life, this life that we live here right now today, it would be joyless. This is what I mean. There would be nothing to celebrate. You see, for us, we would say, man, this is it. And at any moment, I could go. If I don't take my pills, you know, my blood pressure pills enough, I could go at any moment. You know, my wife has always reminded me, did you take your pill today? Why is she telling me that? Because she wants me to keep going, right? But me, I, I miss it for five days, and this thing goes crazy. And I mean, this life would be hopeless. I could be driving down the street, and then there goes my life. I could be on a plane, and we hit a bunch of birds, and then you guys saw it on the news this week, right? I mean, and there you go. You could be one of those guys that climbs the poles on the street, you know, and oh, over here, 60 feet in the air, and okay, we won't talk about that, Joe. But listen, you go, and without the resurrection, there's no hope. This life is joy joyless. Literally, you're walking around completely paralyzed and paranoid because you don't know what's going to happen next. You're, then you have corona, then you have all these other things, and you're completely lacking in joy. Jump with me over to verse 18 and 19 real quick there, 1 Corinthians 15. It says, though, then those also who've fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Take away the resurrection and all of our loved ones, those who went to sleep, those who died before us, they've perished. There's no hope of seeing them again. You know, every time I do a funeral, I'm able to stand before a family. And if they share with me, man, my dad, my mom, whoever it is, my, my husband, my brother, my sister, they knew the Lord. You're able to stand before those people and say, man, I know for a fact that you're going to see them again. You're able to stand before them and say, hey, there's hope. I know you're hurting, but there's hope because you're going to see mom again. You know, for me, that's my hope that I'm going to see my mom again. Take away the resurrection and those who've died, those who've fallen asleep before us, there's no hope. They're perished if you take away the resurrection. Now, what does that do to us who are still here in our present life? We are joyless. You guys know I lost my mom a year and a half ago. Imagine if there was no hope. Imagine if the only thing that I'm convinced of is mom's gone, mom's perished. I would literally live the rest of my life having lost her with no hope, with no joy. Yet when she went to be with the Lord, I can move forward. I have joy. I'm able to hang out with my wife, my kids. I'm able to pastor church. I'm able to have fun. I'm able to enjoy this life and experience joy in its fullest because there's hope that one day I'm going to see her. And if someone around me goes and they know the Lord, I'm going to see them. But take away that hope and this life, this present life is joyless. Let me say this this morning. My prayer is that every single one of you, every single one of us, that we in our hearts would be absolutely convinced that our Savior is alive. Because it changes everything. 
It changes the way you view this life, and it changes the way that you view the life to come, which leads me to my last point this morning. Without the resurrection, our future lives would be hopeless. Without the resurrection, our future lives would be hopeless. Go back with me to the Gospel of John this morning. Continue to leave something in John chapter 20. And go with me over to John chapter 14. It's a verse, it's a text that every single one of us knows. It's a verse that we've all heard before. But I want to say it like this this morning. Go with me over to John chapter 14. Take a look at verses 1 and 2 with me. When Jesus lets his disciples know that he's about to go to the cross, he's about to leave them, he says these words to them. He says, let not your heart be troubled. Yes, I'm about to leave. Yes, I'm about to go. I'm about to depart. But let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. And then he says, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions or dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. Listen to this. If you have your pen pencils, underline this next part. He says, for I go to prepare a place for you. Without the resurrection, there would be no prepared place for us. You know what this means? Without the resurrection... There's no heaven. There's no future hope. If our Savior died on a Friday, was buried in a tomb, still stuck in the tomb, dead body, stones still there, we have no hope. And our future has no hope. Because then our Savior is dead, he's not alive. And he is not gone to prepare a place for us. But add the resurrection, believe in the resurrection, cling to the resurrection, you find, what do you see? An empty tomb with this huge, massive stone rolled away. And everyone looking around saying, where is he? And being reminded that he's not here, he's alive. What's he doing while he's alive? He's gone to prepare a place for us. What's he gone to do? The Bible tells us that he, in, that he sits at the right hand of the Father right now, interceding for us. So we have a Savior who prepares a place for us, and we have a Savior who is interceding for us. If Christ died and is not alive, he wouldn't be alive to go and prepare that place for us. You see, this morning, the resurrection is our living hope. Go back with me to John chapter 20. Let's finish our verses this morning. Go with me back to verse 2. John chapter 20, go with me back to verse 2. And so Mary sees the empty tomb. What does she do? In verse 2, the Bible tells us she ran. Remember, Mary did not see hope but Mary saw a stolen Savior. It says, And she came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved 
and said to them, they've taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. And so Mary's first instinct when she sees or in her mind a situation where the body's been stolen, her first instinct is to run and tell the disciples. And so as she runs, she finds Peter, she finds John, and she informs them, she lets them know that Jesus' body is missing. He's been taken. Keep reading with me, verse 3. It says, And Peter therefore went out, and the other disciple, and they were going to the tomb. So they both ran together, and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. So she goes to Peter. She goes to John. She lets them know, hey, Jesus is missing. Peter and John's first natural instinct is to run. We're told that they start out running together. Keep in mind that John, the Apostle John, is the author of our text. Right? That's the book we're in, the Gospel of John. So Peter and John start running. John wants to let us know, since he's the author, I smoked Peter. We were running, I outran that guy. I mean, I don't know why we needed that there, but he lets us know, hey, Peter and I, we ran together, and at some point, Peter got behind. I ran faster, Peter's slow. It's kind of interesting. I don't know how you've ever pictured Peter. Have you ever thought about what the disciples look like? I picture, I've always pictured Peter as this big sort of brawly guy. I've never pictured him as this, I mean, he's just not the feminine petite fellow, you know, with, you know, he's not the kind of guy that has his Nike shorts with the little leggings underneath, you know, and with the ultra boost. And, and he doesn't, I don't picture him like that. I picture him just big and brawly, like an offensive lineman, I guess, if we were to compare it to a football player. So, I mean, you can just kind of picture him running. They start out together. John, on the other hand, I picture John like a wide receiver. And so the two start out. John just takes off. Peter's there behind. We're told that John gets to the tomb first. Now, notice in verse 5 with me, it says that he, John, stooping down and looking in, he saw the linen cloth lying there, yet he did not go in. If you have your pen, pencil, highlighter, verse 5, I want you guys, once again, to underline, circle, highlight the, the word saw. What's going to happen here is in the next few verses, from verses 5 through 8, we're going to see that the word saw is mentioned three times. Now, here in English, all we see is the word saw, S-A-W. But in the original language, in the Greek, these three words, saw, saw, and saw, are actually three different Greek words. And so we look and we say, okay, John saw, Peter saw. But the Greek actually paints us a very different story about what each of them saw when they looked into the tomb. Here in verse 5, John gets there first, and we're told that he looks in and that he saw linen cloths lying there, yet he did not go in. If you're taking notes, this word saw here in verse 5, it literally speaks of a casual glance. A casual glance. 
And so he comes. The Greek wants us to know that when John first gets on scene, he peeks in. Casual glance. He doesn't want to go too far in. I don't know if it was out of fear or waiting for Peter to arrive or whatever it is, but he sort of just kind of looks. He doesn't get in there. He doesn't really go in to find out what's going on, but he just kind of glances. He just kind of looks. Now, read with me verse 6. It says, then Simon Peter came. So Peter eventually shows up following John. Notice in verse 6, it says, and Peter went into the tomb, and he saw. Would you underline, circle that, highlight that again? He saw. Peter saw something. It says he saw the linen cloth lying there and the handkerchief and that it had been around his head and it was not lying with the other cloths but folded together in a place by itself. And so Peter looks in and the saw that Peter does when he looks, it's not a casual glance. In the Greek, this word saw in verse 6 literally means to carefully observe. In fact, the word in the Greek, it's the word Theoro, which is where we get our English word for theory. So he looked, and now he's sort of trying to come to a theory. He's trying to, it's sort of, he's, he's investigating. So John shows up, kind of looks, and okay, let me wait for Peter to get here. Peter comes, and Peter makes his way into the tomb as if he was a detective, trying to come up with a theory. So what happened? Where's Jesus? Where's the body? This isn't just a peeking in. This is a going in. And when he goes in, he finds that Jesus' grave clothes, the claws that he was wrapped with, that they're there lying on the floor. And then usually they would wrap the body and then they would take a handkerchief and place it on the face of a body. He sees that the handkerchief that would have been placed on Jesus' body, unattached from the rest of the, the, the cloth that would have been, he would have been wrapped with, was folded over by itself. Peter goes in and Peter is examining. He's carefully observing what's going on in the tomb. Now finish with me, verse 8. It says, and the other disciple who came to the tomb first, and so John, remember he's the author here, he then comes back to himself again. So he says, at first I just glanced. Then Peter came in and he tried to develop a theory. And then he says in verse 8, then I came back inside now with Peter and I started to look too. But I was no longer looking with a casual glance. He says, I came. Finish it with me, verse 8. I came to the tomb first. He says, I went back in. And then notice the end of verse 8. It says, and I saw and believed. Would you underline once again the third time the use of that word saw? This word saw here, it's not the first saw, casual glance. It's not the second saw theory. You know, I went in and looked around and analyzed everything. This third saw was, hey, I came, I saw, and I comprehended. I came, I saw, and God spoke to my heart. 
And I believed. I saw what was happening here. It's interesting. You guys can close your Bibles. We're almost done this morning. Four times this word saw is mentioned in our eight verses. The first time it's mentioned, Mary came, she saw, and she jumped to a conclusion, right? She saw an empty tomb, and she concluded somebody stole the body. John arrives on scene. He looks, but he doesn't want to look too closely. Peter jumps in. He goes in, and he's like, I'm going to figure this thing out. What's the theory? And then we come to the fourth saw. John comes back in. He sees. He understands. He comprehends. He believes. Give me your eyes for a moment, church, before we pray. This reminds me a lot of Sunday morning. This reminds me a lot of church, isn't it? I mentioned at the beginning, when we come, all of us see something different. You can show us all the same thing, and yet we all react to it a lot differently. Yesterday, I was at a red light with my son, and we, about six months ago, I, I, I got a new F-150. Recently, I was finally able to put some, actually, I was going back and forth whether to put some rims and the, the tires and stuff like that on it. And then Jojo came with his Denali about a month ago with his rims and his tires. And so I was like, man, now I got to do it. But anyways, listen. And so I, I just got this done last week for my birthday. So I was at the red light yesterday. And as we're sitting at the red light, Nathan and I, this car, I don't know if it took the red I wasn't paying attention, but this car takes the red light car is trying to make that left-hand turn right as the light turns red, and they T-bone at the intersection in front of us. And the collision happened, I'm, I'm right here, this is my car, the collision happened over here, and it collided, and it started to come towards my brand new rims and my brand new tires. And I'm just sitting there like, and I'm not thinking about this, I mean, and, and I'm talking about the the car that went through, I mean, it had to be going at least 50, 60 miles an hour. So, I mean, it was a pretty strong crash. But as it's coming and making, and I'm sitting there in the driver's seat, and the only thing I'm thinking, and it was, it was slowing down as it was approaching, I was like, don't touch the truck. Don't touch the tires. Don't hit the rims. And I'm sitting there, and I'm like, and I'm just watching this collision slide and make its way to where, and I'm in the, the driver's side, and and literally, it stopped this close to my truck. And the first thing that I thought at that moment was, thank you, Jesus, for my car. Thank you, Jesus, for my tires. But then in the next moment, I look out, and I'm here. The woman that was driving the van that got smashed, she was probably about this close to me. I look outside my window, and once I stop thinking about my tires, I look over, and this woman is literally having a heart attack. They're like, like right here. And so I, had to, I get out, and I run over, and she's like, I can't breathe. And she's like hyperventilating and everything else. And 
Then the driver in the other car, probably about an 18-year-old young boy, he gets out and he starts screaming. I can't believe another accident. He's in the middle of the intersection. I, and, and this lady's like, I can't believe another accident. Another accident. And he goes to the curb, lays in the grass, and starts laying down and crying and sobbing, like feet in the air, like a dog on his back. Just, I can't believe another. And he's just screaming. She's like, ah. And I'm like, yes, my tires didn't get I mean, listen, there at that intersection yesterday, we all were part of the same scene, yet we all had a very different reaction. Before you think I'm superficial, I did get out, helped the lady, waved till the ambulance came, called the woman's daughter on the phone and everything else, okay? And she, 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 the woman's doing okay. The kid's doing okay. And thankfully, the truck's okay. But listen, we all see something. We're all a part of something. And yet our reaction to it, what we see from our vantage point, can be so different. One person comes to the empty tomb and says, man, what happened? Who stole it? Let me go get run for help. The other person comes and says, man, I'm going to figure this out. I see an empty tomb. Let me get to work. I'm smart enough to solve this crime. Yet another person comes on scene, sees the empty tomb, and says, I just, I believe. I've spent time with Jesus. He talked about going and preparing a place for us. He talked about hope. He talked about his time. He talked about his mission I comprehend and I believe. Let me say this this morning. How do you look at how, how, how? What do you see? What comes to your mind when you hear the tomb's empty? Do you say, oh, no, I, I don't believe that. Can't be true. If you were to go online, if you were to do a Google search, you would see that there are all sorts of theories online about what happened to the body of Jesus. You know, there's the stolen body theory. There's the Jesus um, was hallucinating. There, there, there's the Jesus had a twin theory. And so Jesus had a twin. The twin somehow rolled away to stone, went in. And I mean, there, there's all sorts of weird theories. Just Google them. Theories about the empty tomb. There's a lot of people, a lot of smart people trying to figure out what happened. Let me do some more digging. Let me do some more analyzing. And yet John, after casually glancing, makes his way back. He comes and says, I know what happened. My Savior's alive, I believe. He conquered death, I believe. He's alive, I believe. That's my prayer for us this morning that we would walk out and not say, ah, I'm not sure. But I pray we would leave this morning convinced. I see and I believe. Father, thank you for this morning. God, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for this moment that you've given to us, the space that you've given to us to be able to come 
and to celebrate our living hope, Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray this morning, God, that this word, that the text that we spent time in this morning, I, I pray that it, that it fell, that it, that, that it fell upon a heart this morning. Hearts that were ready and willing to receive the truth. I pray this morning that our lives and the passion and the joy in which we live our lives would be a testimony of your resurrection. I pray that the world around us would see the hope, the, the expectancy that, that, that we live with, the anticipation that we have for, for our future home. And Lord, that others would see and that they would believe. I pray that you would even use this space here, this building that you provided for us for more Mary Magdalene's to come. People with demons in their past, people with checkered past, people with just things that they're ashamed of, that they would come into this place that you would use our church, our ministry, our testimonies, our mouths, our voices, our tongues to invite people, to share with people the, the gospel, the complete gospel message and that they would come and be set free. In fact, this morning, with our eyes closed and our heads bowed, you might be here this morning and maybe you come and you can sort of relate with the woman in our text. Troubled past, demons in the past, things to be ashamed of, just a life that was at one time lived away from God and not for God. Maybe that even might be the life that you're living right now presently. And I believe that the Lord brought you to church this morning and it's not an accident, it's not a coincidence, it's not by chance. It's not by persuasion because somebody forced you. But I believe that God brought every single one of us here this morning by divine appointment. Because he wants to speak to our heart, he wanted to convince us that he's alive. And he wants us to believe. You know, this morning with our eyes closed, our heads bowed, if that's you, if you're here this morning and you've never given your life to the Lord, if you've never made the decision to see and believe, to believe that Jesus loves you, to believe that Jesus died for you, to believe that Jesus conquered the grave, empty tomb, that Jesus is alive if you've never made that decision to give your life to him, I want to give you that opportunity this morning. As we continue to have our eyes closed and our heads bowed, if that's you this morning and you want to accept Christ into your heart, then I would just ask you real quickly there in your seat, no one's looking around, this is just between you and the Lord, to just raise your hand because I want to pray for you. Is there anyone here this morning? I'd love to pray for you. Is there anyone here this morning? who's walked away from the Lord, who's gone distant from him. Maybe at one point you made this decision, but you didn't really follow through on it. You walked away from it. 
and the Lord brought you to church as well this morning for you to see and for you to believe. If that's you this morning, would you just raise your hand as well because I would love to pray for you. I'd love to just pray over you and ask the Lord to bless you and strengthen you to follow him. Anyone here this morning? Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this moment. God, we thank you for this time. And you know this morning, whether you raised your hand or even just in your heart, you felt like, man, I should have raised my hand or I was too nervous, or you just felt like, man, that's me he's talking about. I want to encourage you this morning to just repeat this simple prayer after me there in your heart, just asking the Lord to come in. So would you repeat this prayer after me? Dear Jesus, I come before you. And Lord, I see and I believe. I ask this morning that you would forgive me of my sins. That God, you would take away the shame. Take away the condemnation. And God, by your spirit, help me to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand this morning. Let me say this before I go. This morning, this is only the beginning. This is only the starting point. This is what I mean. I believe that this today, the Lord's blessed us with this new space. And I believe that he's going to be faithful to do some pretty amazing things through our church and our ministry and our church family. And I want to encourage you guys this morning before we go, get on board. I want to encourage you guys this morning, jump on with us. Come back. Talk to me. Talk to one of our leaders about how to get involved. Because I really believe, I, I believe with all my heart, God is about to do something just with us and with our church. And I'd love for each of you to be a part of that work. And so pray. Talk to me. Seek the Lord. But especially, keep coming. Keep following. Keep reading. Keep studying. God's doing some good things. Amen? And I encourage you guys, jump on. If you were with us a couple weeks ago, jump out the boat. Jump out the boat. Let's sing this last song. God bless you guys after service downstairs. I encourage you guys, make your way over to the side there. Take your family photos. And I pray that you guys have a wonderful and blessed rest of your resurrection day. All right, let's sing.